you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 14 today. Uh, before we get there, though, it was about 22 years ago, just about this time of year, that I met this full of life and energy and smiles and hugs guy named Steve Lotman. And Steve is here with us this morning. And Steve works as our facilities and property manager. He's also the father to Leah and Matt. And uh, yesterday morning, Steve lost his beloved wife, Lynn, to a battle with cancer. And I asked, would it be okay if I told everybody else? And you're celebrating this morning. You're celebrating because you know that you are going to be with her again in eternity. And, and you said to God be the glory. And you are just such an incredible example of we live for God and we die for God. Thank you, thank you for being a leader in a whole lot of ways, Steve. Yeah, we're gonna, those of us that had the privilege of knowing your wife are gonna miss her. Let's pray. God, thank you for life. Thank you for the gift of life. It isn't guaranteed, not one moment, not one breath. But God, along with that, you give us the hope that we have in Jesus. God, you give us hope for this life and hope for the next life. And, uh, today, even as we, we surround Steve and and uh, there's sadness at his loss because it's very real. There is also great joy because Lynn knew salvation in Jesus as her Savior. And so, God, that is what we celebrate today, that uh, he has the opportunity to look forward to an eternity with his beloved bride as, as they spend that together in heaven. And so, God, anyone here who, this morning who doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't have that hope, God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would move in their minds and in their hearts, that they would be open to hearing the good news of Jesus. God, we give you thanks, and uh, we do surround the Lotman family. We surround all of them with our prayers and, and with our love, and just pray that you would be a, a very real presence with them in the days ahead. God, we give you this time now as we open your word to hear what it is that you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Acts 14. There's beginning to be this theme that is, that is working its way through the book of Acts that Luke, the guy that wrote the book of Acts, he was not one of the original 12 disciples. He is actually a physician by trade. But he wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And there's a theme that he wants us to pick up. And the theme is almost like a pendulum as you read these chapters and as we go through these passages. There is this part where God is at work. God is at work in the world through the apostles and, and through miracles and through the name of Jesus being preached. But then the pendulum swings and we see that the enemy of God is also at work. And the enemy of God is doing everything that he can to stop the work of the apostles, to stop the work of God's chosen people. And what we realize that in 2,000 years, when God begins to be at work in the world, the enemy, Satan, begins to move in the hearts of willing people to oppose whatever it is that God would do. Now, as we read these passages, it's real easy to look at it and, and pit the people as the good ones versus the bad ones. But we have to be careful about doing that because in Ephesians, in the sixth chapter, verse 12, it says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And it goes on and talks about putting on the whole armor of God. If you haven't read that passage about the whole armor of God, that's the way that as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, that you ready yourself to go face whatever is going to happen in the world. And what these apostles are realizing is that when they go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus, the enemy of God wants anything but that to happen. So we might get confused by or frustrated with or disappointed in people, but we need to realize that our real battle isn't against them. 
our real battle is this age-old enemy of God who is at work in the world to divide us from each other and from a relationship with Jesus. The enemy uses us and, and people just like us to do the dividing. However, God also says that Jesus came to forgive our sins, that we might have new life, and that the Holy Spirit brings us into unity. And so even in the midst of this opposition, there is hope that God gives us. So last week, if you weren't with us, we looked at Acts 13, and it would be helpful if you went and read that after this, if you haven't already. It was the religious people. It was the Jewish leaders. It was the Pharisees who were upset and jealous and even worried about the apostles' teaching of the good news of Jesus and life in him. And they started contradicting them. They started spreading rumors. And then it says they stirred up devout and honorable women and men, and they began the persecution of the apostles and of the Christians by bad-mouthing them in the community. And the whole point was they wanted to get the people to be concerned about following these folks and to believe in Jesus because they had an awful lot at stake within their religion and they didn't want people to leave. Makes me think about our world today. So before we go ahead to Acts 14, we started this journey about 11 months ago. And we've put a pin in it a few times along the way. But what's interesting is God always knows what we need to hear. and He knows what we're, what we're going through. And so God brings to us, whether it's through his word or through a conversation with someone else, maybe it's just in your desperation you're seeking out, or reaching out to him, and he puts a thought in your mind. God always knows what we need when we need to hear it. And so I want to take a moment and talk about the world that we're living in. Because, you know, we've been going two years in this pandemic. Do you realize that this is the two-year mark? of when we first heard about COVID-19 and everything began to change. Two years. And I realize we don't talk about this very often because we like to think, well, we survived, we made it, we're, we're getting through. Two years of unimaginable disruption to our lives, our economies, our churches, our workplaces, our relationships. And when we don't talk about it and don't think about it, it gives Satan room to just kind of fester in us. You know, last year, high school seniors all over the country graduated alone in their homes and in their living rooms and in their yards and on their decks. People in nursing homes and long-term care facilities were forced to die separated from their families and loved ones because they couldn't be together. Hospital visits for families and for pastors has changed dramatically. Healthcare professionals, teachers, other employee groups have had to be forced to make the decision between forced vaccinations and losing your jobs. And all of this has affected us a lot more deeply than what we realize. For more than a year, we were forced to be masked everywhere we went. Some people still are. If we could go anywhere, we were told to be six feet apart from everybody around us. Forced distancing for Christmas and, and Thanksgiving and New Year and other big celebrations. We were told to have virtual family celebrations and stay in our own homes. Corporate offices have closed and some people haven't returned to their office. Restaurants and small businesses have been disrupted incredibly and a lot of them have closed forever. Do you know that the best numbers I can find say that 30% of the churches in America have shuttered their doors and won't reopen them? 30% of the churches in the last two years. 40% of the nation's pastors have walked away and joined work in the, in the private sector because ministry has been hard. It's been difficult. It's been confusing, and it's been really frustrating. The number of people who have just quit their jobs or completely gone into a different part of the, 
the workforce is at an all-time record high. I hear you talking all the time about why is it people have just become so much less kind than we used to be. We're less patient. We're more vocal in our anger and our frustrations and our, and our fears. And it, it, it's like we don't think people are even hearing us. We're in the midst of this remarkable, unprecedented, unimaginable change in our world. But the Christian church in the book of Acts was in a similar situation. And God was bringing something really, really good out of it. And we need to realize that in the midst of all of this, we're not immune to it at the open door. You are not as people in the workplace. We are not as a church. It's been hard. People have left. People have chosen to stay home. Uh, we have staff team who have chosen to move on to work outside the church. And, and the result is that we're all realizing how fragile our relationships are. And as we read in the book of Acts, we need to be aware that it's people who are talking to and about people. And relationships are fragile because words hurt. In the middle of it all, we as a church are trying to carry on a capital campaign because we know that in spite of everything that's happening around us, God is at work. And God is going to continue to be at work. But there's something that we have to be aware of. And I did a bunch of reading about this this week. Scientists are just now, 18 months into it, beginning to realize that our brains are literally being rewired as we process the world around us in light of this pandemic. We are thinking differently, not that we're trying to, but we're dealing with grief and loss and confusion and discouragement and disconnection without realizing that's what we're feeling. And what I read was that what's happening to our minds is very much like what people in the Great Depression went through. They saw what was happening, but they didn't realize how deeply it was hurting. That's why our church family is so important. It's why we have to read and listen to and stay close to God. Uh, on that note, what do we have the opportunity to do as followers of Jesus to be the voice of reason and to speak words of life and hope in Jesus? As we follow through Acts, it's, it's easy to see the people that aren't being very kind to the apostles. But we need to make sure that we realize what it is that is the fuel that keeps the apostles going. And that is life and hope in Jesus. So verse 14, uh, chapter 14 in Acts, starting in verse 1. Now at Iconium they entered together, this is Paul and Barnabas and some of the early apostles, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. It isn't necessarily that they were great speakers. Peter is the one that seems to be the great speaker. Paul is coming into his own, certainly. But it wasn't that their speaking was in such a miraculous way. It was what they spoke. They spoke life and forgiveness, the truth of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and the promise of salvation in his name. You want to know what you share with people who don't know Jesus? You do that. You share Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and the promise of salvation in the name of Jesus. It's really that simple. Over and over and over in the Bible, it says, when the truth of Jesus is spoken, people believe. However, not everyone believed. The, the religiously self-righteous people that are listening to this message didn't think they need Jesus and didn't think they needed his forgiveness. And so in verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. The Jews continued to be unbelieving because they believed they were chosen. They believed they were special. And, and God had told them that they were. He sent Jesus to them first, but rather than listening, rather than accepting God's gift of Jesus, they said, nope, that's not the one that we're looking for. And now they've turned it around, and now they're angry and they're hostile. And it says, they stirred up the Gentiles and they poisoned their minds against the brothers. Part of what the apostles knew well is that when God's word is preached and hope in Jesus 
is what the message is? Opposition immediately follows. If you've ever been out there and been bold about your faith, you know that that's true. Not everybody says, hey, thanks for telling me. I'm really glad you shared Jesus with me. I had a guy in a coffee shop one time. We hadn't even gotten to the topic of Jesus. He just found out I was a pastor. He threw a big old cup of hot coffee in my chest and on my lap. It isn't like people are always excited about the message we've got, but we need to be excited about the message that we have to share. See, the unbelieving Jews, they were disobedient to God. They chose to be disobedient. I was reading in a commentary, someone said this about them. They intentionally spread rumors, they made false accusations, false suggestions, and made damaging insinuations, and poisoned people's opinions about the apostles to get the people to turn from the church and from Jesus. Their whole intention is to stir up bitterness against the Gentiles, not even their own people, and to get these people to stop listening to the good news of Jesus and drive the apostles out of town. So what did the apostles do? Well, they remained for a long time, it says in verse 3, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. People saw miracles. They experienced miracles. Despite what was being said and spread about them, the apostles continued to speak boldly for Jesus. However, in verse 4, the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Why? Because Satan was at work dividing people at the same time God was at work saving people in Jesus. Some chose to believe the gospel. Some chose to believe the gossip. And it's no different in our world today. We've got to choose. Are we going to believe the Bible when God talks to us about who Jesus is? Or are we going to think that we're not worth it or, or it isn't real or that we've never met him? Are you going to be a gossip or a gospel speaker? That's the decision we've got to make today. Verse 5, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers, so the Gentiles and the Jews that didn't want the apostles preaching got together. Those people never got together. But somehow, the enemy of God, Satan, got those people working on the same page to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it, the apostles did, and they fled to Lystra and Derby, fled to Lystra and Derby cities of the Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. I don't know how these guys kept doing it. People get together. People that are enemies and have been forever get together. What's their common cause? These men of God who are trying to preach the gospel of Jesus. And they're just being downright cruel in their opposition and anger. It isn't enough that they just say, I'm not interested. They go on the attack against the apostles. I don't know how these guys managed to keep preaching in the middle of all of that noise and all of that anger and all of that hatred, and then they try to stone them. Words are painful enough. Imagine the mean and nasty and gossiping things that they were saying about them, and then that very same crowd starts throwing rocks at them with the intention not of just hurting them, but of killing them. Verse 8, now at Leicester there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and he had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, the man doesn't say anything. There's no conversation between this man and Paul. Paul takes the time in the middle of this crowd to look intently and seeing that he had faith. Something about this man's eyes said, I believe and I want to hear more. And Paul said in 10, in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. God is at work through these faithful apostles. And I just wonder if we had that amount of faith, 
What would happen when we came across someone in this man's condition? Paul didn't stop and pray for him. He didn't ask for healing or a miracle. He ordered him to stand up because Paul knew that God could do it. That's the kind of faith that drives you to continue to preach even when people are throwing rocks at you to kill you. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices and sang in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. We've got to go back because Luke is so good at this. We've got to go back to what Herod heard from the crowd just before he died. So Barnabas, the crowd called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker, and the priest of Zeus, whose temples was at the gate to entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. Remember what happened to Herod. Herod took the, the praise and the, the crowd's, crowd's happiness that went to him. It should have gone to God. And Herod just was more than happy to soak it all up. And what we found out is that he had a stroke and he laid awake for five days while intestinal worms ate his body from the inside out and then he died. Luke is so good about tying pieces together. These guys do the same thing, but when the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd. Tearing their garments is a sign of, wait, you got to see, we're, this is not who we are. Rather than trying to look special, they're making a humble statement. Men, why are you doing these things? We're also men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. There is the quick wrap-up of who God is and what they should think about him. Basically, we're people just like you. We're not gods. We're nothing special. Don't worship us. Worship God. We're just here to point you to him. When Cindy did the introduction this morning about the three things that we stand on every week, those three things are at the heart of who we are because it keeps us focused on God. God's word, worship, and prayer. God's word is his word to us. Worship isn't the time that, that we sing because it makes us feel good. It does because we sing worshiping to God. Why do we pray? Because God invited us to pray because he wants to have a relationship with us. That's what Paul and Barnabas are trying to tell the crowd. Verse 19, but the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds... They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. It didn't matter what he said. They were going to do away with him. So they come gathering up from all over the place. They hunt Paul down. They stone him, and they drag him out of the city, thinking he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas and Derby. I love that. I would love to know what happened there. Imagine the presence of God. The, the apostles and all these people gather around Paul that the crowd that wanted him dead left him assuming that he was dead. The apostles gathered around him, and it doesn't say that they said a thing. It says that when they gathered around him, about him, he rose up and entered the city. And the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derby. The presence of God had to have been so strong around Paul that day. And when he went to Derby, when verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and they had made many disciples, which means more people believed, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. They went right back to where the problem started. They went right back into the heart of the angry people. Jump to verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And this is just a part of the journey. And Cindy's got some stuff back there that she can give you that helps you understand this. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended by the great, to the grace of God for the work that they had been fulfilled. They made a loop. They went back through all those people that were so cruel to them. 
They went back and gave him one more chance to hear the gospel. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. And rather than complaining about the crowds, rather than talking about being stoned, rather than recounting all the horrible things that had been made up and said about them, when they recounted, they declared all that God had done and how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. All that they could see was the positive. All that they could see was God at work in the world. They knew that the devil was at work to oppose them, but that wasn't what they're focused on. Their eyes were fixed so much on the call that God had in their lives. They didn't waste time with all the other stuff. And they remained with the disciples. So what happened? I love that phrase, God opened a door. There's a reason that we're called the open door, not just as a, as a way of trying to help you understand we want to be welcoming and friendly and hospitable. That certainly is part of it. But that phrase, open door, occurs more than once in the Bible. It occurs in Revelation as well. Part of the reason that we're called the open door is because we welcome and invite anyone and everyone that is willing to hear the word of God be spoken and welcomed by us with open doors. It's as simple as that. Open hearts, open arms, open doors. It's an invitation to people. Yes, they're going to come and meet us. But in this place, we know that they're going to meet Jesus. Second thing is we love Jesus, we love people, and we teach people to love Jesus. And if you're locked behind a door, there's no way that you can possibly do that. And then third, we, we open God's word because we want you to follow Jesus. Not, not, don't follow the worship team, don't follow me, don't follow any other person here. Follow Jesus. Jesus is the only one that will save you. The Bible, all 1,500, 1,600 pages of it, it you and I are, are throughout those pages and the promises that God makes to us, but nowhere in the Bible does it name you or me. Don't follow people, follow Jesus. One of the reasons for our name comes from the great cathedral doors in Europe. So you've got to kind of paint a picture here with me. Uh, we've got one of, of uh, Daedry standing in St. of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. But you've got to imagine those ancient cathedrals and the doors, the wooden doors are 12 feet wide and 30 feet high. And when you go up and grab one of those handles that are about this big and they sit on a thing that spins them, that doesn't even have hinges, when you open those doors to let people into church, the only thing that you can do is get closed behind that door. They're too big for you to open them and still stand there. So when you open them, whoever opens that door is actually not seen anymore. But the people who walk through don't see the person that opened the door. They see the Jesus that is behind the door. And that's what we want you to do here. We want you to be able to meet Jesus in this place. We'll keep our doors open so God can continue his work among us and in our communities. And we will always have people that open those doors for you. It doesn't matter if it's the dead of winter. Man, Carol and Mark are out there when it's 35 below windshield, smiling, somehow opening those doors. Why? Because that's the promise that we want to make to you, that it isn't us, but it's Jesus that we want you to meet. But sometimes we've learned hard lessons. And we've taken it from the disciples and apostles going through Acts as well. Sometimes we need to close those doors. You heard Brian talk about that a few weeks ago. Sometimes we've got to close the doors to people who will criticize and condemn and stir up dissension and gossip and slander about God's people. That we won't tolerate because that doesn't get us closer to Jesus. That just promotes the work that the enemy is doing in the world. So as we read about how God was at work in the early church of Acts, ask yourself, is God at work in you? 
Are you giving God the opportunity to move into your heart, to change your thinking, to change the way that you see and hear and feel about people? Is God at work in you? Are you a voice for the good news of Jesus in a world that is dying because they don't know him? Do you speak life and hope into the lives of sinful people because Jesus loves them? Or are you one of those that is happy to get caught up in all the nonsense of the world? Because at the end of the day, the only one that's ever going to save us is Jesus. And so join us as we continue to carry out the mission that God has called us to. And it's so simple. Love Jesus. Love people. Teach people to love Jesus. The focus of all three of those statements is the only one the church is worth gathering for. That's Jesus. The one that God sent to live and to die and to be raised from the dead so that our sins could be forgiven and we could live in eternity with him. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this passage. I don't know how these disciples did it. I don't know how they kept going in the face of this opposition. I don't, I just can't imagine Paul not speaking out in anger at people who are trying to kill him with rocks and then turning around and going back and loving those people and wanting them to hear good news in Jesus all over again. But God, it's a lesson for us and we need to see it. We need to read it and we need to hear it. God, you and hope in you, hope in your son Jesus is the only lasting thing of value we really have to talk about. The only thing that's going to make a difference when this life ends is you and where it is that we spend eternity. God, help us to be people who understand that, that we don't get caught up with what the enemy would have us do and get get, uh, drowned out by, but rather that we would be caught up in love with you, that we would be caught up in love with Jesus and wanting to be filled with your Holy Spirit to speak your truth, to the people in our world, even if they don't want to hear it, because we know that truly you are our hope and you are our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. The goodness of God is that you can know where you're going to spend your eternity. You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to worry about it. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to its fullest through him. If you don't know that you're going to heaven, we've got folks in the back corner that would love the opportunity to visit with you and pray with you this morning. If if today's the day you say, you know what, I want to make sure that I know where I'm going to spend the rest of all time. Because the Bible says we got one, two options. We're going to one of two places and we get to choose where that's going to be.